You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, Oh, God of all nations, we thank you for gathering us together in um, this corner of your world in Birmingham, Alabama at the Church of the Advent. And we pray that today that you will speak to us through the team that um, has gone to Bolivia and spent some time at Amistad. And we pray that you will open our eyes to um, a different culture, Lord, and um, the way that you are are living and active among them. And so now um, I pray for all those that are speaking today, Lord, that you will calm their hearts. Um, and allow all of our ears to be open to hear from you. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So um, if you were here last week, then you heard from Mark Genelette and Will Womack, um, and we talked kind of a broad overview of faith and culture. And so we talked about faith and culture through scripture. We kind of gave a broad um, overview of how different ways to look at culture. If you weren't in the class, I'd really encourage you to go online and listen to it. It was really, really helpful. Um, so one of the reasons we started this is because in the past three or four months, I've been to five different countries, um, which is an amazing privilege. And also, um, it's a lot of processing that happens after you visit different countries, see different cultures, see the way God is at work. And it also shows you more about the, your own culture that, that the Lord has placed you in. Um, and so within those tensions, you see similarities and differences and then um, hopefully you're asking the question, where is God in the midst of all of this? And so um, this past summer, I had the privilege of going um, with Kelly and Duncan Holsey and their family and Lizzie and Rosemary and some others um, to Amistad Mission in Cochabamba, Bolivia. So today we'll be spending some time talking uh, about about our time there. And again, through the lens of where is God in the midst of this culture? What did it teach us about our own culture? And what did it teach us ultimately about our God, um, who is, again, the God of all nations? So um, we're going to start by saying just a little bit about the country of Bolivia. Um, so Duncan has some wonderful slides. Um, and we set it up this way because there are so many people. So you'll have to turn your head to the left. Um. Okay. I just wanted to say that to go to Bolivia uh, with uh, all these amazing teenagers was a pretty a great experience. And it was, uh, we were, Duncan and I were kind of outnumbered, but we, we had some man time, so that that was good. But it was, it was a great experience. Bolivia is a, uh, it's a poor country. It's about the size of Texas. About 11 million people is the population. And um, it's, it's landlocked, so it's a fairly poor uh, country. It has, has uh, Amazon, it has jungles, it has mountains, uh, the Andes Mountains. So it is, it is very, a lot of different geography. I want to talk about uh, just some of the aspects of the culture, the language, and the religion. So this is a typical um, Quechua-type person that you would see living in, uh, in the mountains. And so very agricultural uh, society. And what's interesting about about Bolivia is that um, you know the, the Spanish settled that area and conquered the native people, and so uh, it a lot of the people that you would encounter uh, still look very much native-like and look like the original indigenous people. So they're typically uh, shorter uh, in size, a full head of brown hair, lucky, and uh, they they're just you know kind of darker skin and and as far as their personality goes, that always interests me. They're they're very a somewhat reserved, uh, friendly, but kind of reserved, shy people in general. I know that's a broad generalization. 
there, um, this woman would have uh, probably doesn't speak Spanish. So, so uh, 40% of the country doesn't even speak Spanish. They speak one of 36 indigenous languages, and the main one is Quechua, which uh, we all heard them speaking, and it's it's uh, uh, related to the uh, Inca language. So it's an ancient language. And in fact, we went to one village, and there was a, a Quechua woman, and Kelly wanted to talk to her, and she obviously didn't speak English or Spanish, and so. Uh, we asked uh, Chris King, the executive director, a question in, in English. He asked it to Spanish, in Spanish to the other guy that was a farmer there who asked it in Quechua to the woman, and she repeated it back in Quechua to the farmer who said it back in Spanish to Chris who, who spoke English to us. So it was a pretty amazing experience. So language is, is interesting there because uh, it's, most of the world is learning English, and they are not really, there's not a lot of English spoken, so you have to really be, uh, try to speak Spanish if you want to if you want to speak to them. Um, so a lot of it is rural. About half the country lives out in the mountains in these these rural areas. The um, as far as the the religion goes, there is uh, it's Roman Catholic is, is a predominant. I did read there's uh, lots of Mormons in uh, in uh, Cochabamba, but it's, it's it's Catholic country is is the official religion. It's, it's mixed up with their traditional beliefs as well. So they, a lot of their beliefs uh, related to the harvest and to uh, praying and, and hoping for good good rain and other conditions favorable for, for farming. And um, so so the, um, the the people, the culture, the religion, it's all you know, there's some similarities, but there's some real real differences as well. The um, this is a typical kind of countryside scene when we got out out of the city where we were. And uh, coming across all kind of uh, shepherds, and it looks like this could be you know, Montana or Wyoming. It's very arid there, uh, no humidity, and lots of kind of an agrarian scene. But but the majority of the time we spend in, in Cochabamba, and you can see behind us, and this is a, the Advent group, um, you, and then some of the kids from the orphanage, um, and then on the on the left is one of the mamas who is kind of like a house mother that. That is has an amazing job of raising these kids. But behind us is Cochabamba, which is a city of about 600,000 people. So we're actually it's actually an urban experience when we're there. And we were um, even though it's a big city, it's hard to tell. But most of the buildings are small. People are still cooking on wood fires in their in their house or in their backyard. Uh, a lot of people walking, uh, riding donkeys. But there's also taxi cabs and some cars. So it's a, we're in, actually in a city while we're there. It's just a different kind of city. It's very, uh, very um, kind of traditional. So I'm going to pass the mic back to Bethany or Kelly. Yeah, you can just go ahead and pass it to Kelly. Okay. Is this how you do it? You can do however you want. <laughs> it's just recording. Yeah. Yeah. Can you can y'all hear me? Okay. All right. What were you gonna? Ask me a question. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, so Duncan shared a little bit about Bolivia and the broader context. And then, um, Kelly, will you tell us a little bit about Amistad in particular um, and how it fits into that culture there? Sure. So we've been involved, our family's been involved with Amistad probably seven or eight years. I've been involved a bit, a bit longer. Um, but if you look back at this picture right back here, um, I want to tell you a little bit about Amistad Mission. Um, it's really our our organization um, is made up of really three entities. Um, the first one is right here, and it's La Villa. Um, we also call it the Children's Village. We have 62 children on site right now. 
Um, we have uh, on the property we have eight houses, and each house will hold um, ten children. And then in each house there's a mama and a tia. Um, and so that is that is kind of Amistad proper, where we spend a lot of time. Um, Amistad does a few things that are a little bit different than other um, organizations around town. It raises children from infancy into adulthood. Often 18 children are they just they just graduate out into society and just really have no no chance. So um, we're sending the kids to technical school. We're sending the kids to university. And the other really cool thing that we're doing is um, reuniting bi biological siblings. So the state-run orphanages are often their orphanages are from zero to five, ages zero to five, age five to ten. So the children are all separated. So we are known for reuniting biological siblings. So um, go ahead to the next slide, Duncan. Um, just so everybody would know, um, I'd love to let everybody know that um, the Advent has been involved with Amistad for probably 15 or 20 years supporting a particular house, Casa San Miguel. And this is uh, six of the eight children that are living in Casa San Miguel. And this is with um, Mama Noemi, and she's been with us for about eight months now. And I'm just, just thrilled and pleased with Mama Noemi. It's so hard to find a good mama. Um, and so we had four children in the house that we've known for quite a few years. And just about two months ago, four new siblings were brought into the house. So we have a house of two, fam two families, four biological siblings, and then four more biological siblings. So go ahead, Duncan. And there, there's all eight. The four in the back are the ones that have been there for a while. You can see they're a little more confident. And the four in the front are the newer um, children that, that had not been living together um, and, or they'd been separated. So, all right, let's go ahead. The other part of Amasad is we have um, girls. Um, we have some older kids. We have a youth house. Um, and then independent living, once they get a little bit older, they, they graduate out of the, the Amistad proper, the property. And um, these are our siblings. Leonardo was my very first prayer friend. Um, she's 22 now. Uh, Zulma standing next to her. And then Barbara is, um, is, there, is the one on the left. And they have another sister, Alicia. Barbara is the only one that speaks English, and she's taught herself English. Um, one other, I'm going to fly through this because I'd rather y'all hear from the rest of everybody else. Um, Amistad has a has a Amistad for Families Center where when um, children are about to be taken away from their families, um, we have a program that serves the families and teaches the parents and parenting classes, and it's a Christ-centered um, environment. And um, we give out micro-enterprises. And when I say we, I'm saying Amistad is a... Not, not my family, but um, Amistad is a, is, is a um, non-governmental organization. So you can go ahead, Duncan. All right. So I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, sorry. Playing musical microphone, even though it's not a microphone. It's just a recorder, which means you'll be able to all hear this online later. <laughs> um, so we're going to skip ahead to um, the group that went. There are several. Raise your hand if you went this summer. Okay, and then last summer, also. We've got two, three in the back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, again, all of these people have been, and so afterwards, if there are questions that you have, if you want to learn more, then feel free to ask them to go to lunch. Rosemary, in particular, would really like someone to buy her coffee, and she'd love, and she'd love to share her experience. Mm -hmm. um, 
So one of the things we talked about is language. And so when you visited, you know, y'all have varying levels of um, Spanish fluency. Um, can you tell me what are maybe the top three words that you found yourself saying? Um, we'll just pass this around and we'll start with Liz. Oh, I'm the most limited, just to be <laughs> honest. I um, I am now trying to learn, but I was terrible to, um, and the teenagers were a huge help because they caught on just so quick. I was very impressed. I think my only word was manzanas, which is apples. Um, but they gave me phrases, and I, I learned a, a few things I could say. But um, the one thing I did know that the children say is they say chicle, which is gum, and they um, they learn quickly what we might have that they could enjoy. So it's a funny, it's a way to bond. It's a funny. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, probably no <laughs> is a big one. And no, 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 <laughs> um, no. Cuidado, which means careful. And probably chicle or like no moss, which means no more. And I mean, there's a lot of other phrases that are said, but I mean, a few words are um, what Rosemary said, that, those are mostly the main words. I don't really um, speak Spanish that well, and it really helped me a lot in Rosemary. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I found myself saying chicle a lot because they just, that means gum, and they love gum. And I also found myself saying vamos al parque, which means let's go to the park, and quieres jugar, which, which means like, do you want to play? So, just stuff like that. Um, I found myself saying like a key a lot, like here, come here, or vamos a key, or whatever, just try to rile them up, just get them all in one place. <laughs> um, I said a lot vominous because you just want them to come and want to be with them, so say have to say vominous. Uh, one thing I heard a lot was just un mas chicle, which is one more piece of gum, or un mas anything. <laughs> Um, I know absolutely no Spanish, um, so really the only thing I got was chicle, which was the gum. That's the first thing they said when I got off the bus, and I'm like, what is that? What is that? And they, they want gum, and I'm like, oh my goodness, um, and hola, and those were really, they told me everything else while I was there. Well, you go ahead and pass it to Lily, and um, mm -hmm. so... Lily started visiting um, Amistad when she was nine years old. Um, you know, cute, Lily. Um, <laughs> and so she, she has been able to see a lot of the children grow up through the years. And so I'm just going to ask you, what is it like to maintain over the years a cross-cultural friendship? Um, so I first started going when I was like nine, and that's Jesus. He's... Um, the first child that I met at Amistad, and he was our first prayer friend. And when we first went, he was just like so attached to my mom and I, and there wasn't a moment where he wasn't holding our hands. And so when we left to keep in touch, we like continued to send like letters and cards to him. And he slept with them under his pillow each night, just like as a reminder, and I thought that was really sweet. But um, as I kept going throughout the years, I um, started to get like new prayer friends and just learn like, like, um, form relationships with a lot of more of the children and so I started to really like <laughs> fall in love with the place so like two summers ago I went to Panama for two weeks and I learned a little bit of Spanish 
because I just wanted to be able to speak with the children. And that was like pretty a pretty big game changer for me because just it helped me form so much deeper of a relationship with all of them. And it was just like good. It like helped me continue to like form deeper relationships and just to continue to work with the or orphanage. And so next summer I'm going to go to Bolivia for about six weeks to learn more Spanish just so I can like further my relationships with all the children and so yeah. Will you pass it to Alex? Um, so Lily mentioned a little bit about the queer friend relationship and Kelly. So will you tell us a little bit what is the queer friend relationship and then will you tell us about when you met your queer friend? Um, yes, so the prayer friend program is really a special part of the Amistad mission. Um, so basically, it's a relationship between you and one of the children at La Villa, and you, throughout the years, send cards to them and pray for them every night. And it's really special because through the different cultures, you can still relate with them and you get to grow up together basically or if you're already grown just see them grow up and um when i met my prayer friend gary it was really special we spent the whole week together and got really close and um yeah that's scary and um at the end of the week we got to choose who our prayer friend wanted to who we wanted our prayer friend to be, and I chose Gary, and when I told him, he ran into my arms, and we embraced, and he was so happy, and I was so happy, and really got to see how much the prayer friend program means to them, and it was really amazing, and now I still send cards to him, and he sends cards to me, and it's really something special. And you can get a prayer friend even if you haven't visited Amistad. So that's really something special and one of my favorite parts of the Amistad program. I just had a few pictures of different people's prayer friends, Janice, and Mary Louise, um, and Ashley Brooke, and Mary Bell, and um, Lily, that's not your prayer friend, but it was just a good picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. that this group really impressed me with was um, they woke up really early. We've got a lot of track stars that went on this last trip, and um, many of them, they would wake up and do really long hikes, at, like at 5 in the morning. Um, and so Cameron went on a lot of these, and so will you tell us early? I never went on those. I was not awake at 5 <laughs> If you go, you do not have to go at 5 a.m. Um, it's optional. It's optional. Um, but Cameron did. So will you tell us a little bit about the life, what you were able to see at that time in the morning? But I was not awake. Well, um, it was really cold, and it was winter in Bolivia, and um, we saw a lot of dogs, and... Um, we got to see the sunrise, and that was really pretty. And we got to see, like, different things. We got to see this woman um, in her um, traditional fine. dress. Come inside, you might see. Cooking breakfast. Cooking breakfast. Or burning trash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 Cooking breakfast. 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 And when we were walking, there was this pack of dogs, and we got close to them. 
and um, this dog was like showing its teeth at me and I was so close to it and we were like trying to walk as fast as we can and I'm glad it didn't bite me. <laughs> it was like really scary but I'm still here <laughs> and um, it was just um, a lot of dogs and a lot of different things in the early morning. Quiet. Really quiet and um, you can just mostly hear dogs barking pretty much and um, that's pretty much it. You tell us, she was telling me earlier that you would see like the dog beds and so I asked like were they were they the same as our dog beds or were they different? So tell us about the dog beds. They're really different like they're just made out of straw and like they built um, their houses out of like leftover like roof tin and um, to keep them warm and that was really cool and yeah. Okay, pass it down on to Duncan. I just say, can yeah. I just interject one thing about Cameron's? That, that's one of my favorite parts of going to Bolivia, is taking young people with us. Um, and Cameron just said, hey, can, can I go on a walk with, with you? Duncan and I were going on walks early in the morning. She said, can I go? So we would, she would go without Lily and us. And, um, and it's just a real special time to get close to people even closer to people you might not have an opportunity to get really close to. So it was a real special time for us. Okay, Duncan. Um, Duncan, how old are you? Um, I'm 13. Okay, so 13-year-old. What is um, what is a day in the life of 13-year-old Duncan Holsey in Birmingham, and then in Bolivia? Uh, well, it's a lot different. And <laughs> <laughs> here, uh, it's just kind of like more reserved, and I'm keep to yourself, and it's more like how can I help myself out, and how can I make this day good for me, and do what I want to do and just kind of go on <clears throat> but in Bolivia it's more just like it's kind of like a team it's like a family in Bolivia it's like what can I do with these people and how can I make this experience better for everyone and how can I make everyone feel equal and good mm -hmm. and do the right thing mm -hmm. so that's just kind of how it is there and will you tell us about your prayer friends? oh uh, well I have multiple prayer friends <laughs> I have, um, but my main prayer friend is Noel, and I've been prayer friends with him for maybe three years. <clears throat> I think that's him in the yellow, and he's always really happy to see me, and got a lot of energy, <laughs> but it's like, it's cool how much that he like looks forward to seeing me, and he wants to help me out and do stuff with me when he could just want to do stuff with himself or do whatever's best for him. But if he's got something, and he could he, like, give it to me sometimes, mm -hmm. and he just really cares. Mm -hmm. Okay, pass it to Lily Grace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is Lily also, but um, so as not to confuse the children by having two Lilies, because um, Lily Holby was already very established in <laughs> Um, she decided to really become part of the culture. She took on a different name. She was known as Grace um, on this trip. Will you tell us a little bit about um, some of the things that you saw that were the same and some of the things that you thought were different in your time there? Yeah, well, when you're there and you're, you know, you have the mindset when you're going there, like, I'm going to help these people and, like, I'm going to do good there. But then you get there and you realize, like, these kids are helping more you more than you're helping them and like 
you get there and you realize that they're just like they're kids like kids over here and like all they want to do is play and like be with you and they're happy and enjoying themselves and it's like the experience that you get going and just interacting with them is like more than anything you can get here I would say and I think that one thing that was surprising when you went over there is I personally was expecting them to be sort of like closed off and not really wanting like a lot of new people coming in but I mean a lot of the kids were just some of the most compassionate people that I've ever met and I think even more so than you would see here a lot of times. Okay. We also, so one of the things, um, and Will is in the back, he taught the class last week, and one of the things he talked about is part of culture, in one way of looking at it, is a, a difference in dress and food and, um, and traditions and things like that. And I was very impressed because um, these girls tried quinoa juice with no complaints. I mean, there was the initial shock after some of them took a first sip, but you in particular, you drank that whole glass. You going to tell them about that? I did. Well, I I got glass and was intending to share it with Cameron, but Cameron took a sip and shoved it in my hands and ran in the opposite direction. Well, just the basics of quinoa juice. It is warm and brown. It's warm. And, I mean, you see quinoa and you think, how could they possibly make a juice out of this? It's, it's not a fruit or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was... But the mamas were so excited to like have made us this and to give us this and like so we we drank it and it was I hope I never have to do it again but I am I'm, I am glad I did it the one time <laughs> yeah. and then um, Rosemary will you share a little bit about um, about the day you were not feeling so well oh okay <laughs> so the kids one of the things they love to do is to spin on the things like constantly spin on the playgrounds and we went to Globos one day. We took the kids out to lunch, and that was really special. And I was on the playground spinning, and I happened to get very motion sick. <laughs> and I just was not feeling well, and I went back to the table, and I was drinking water. And Mama Noemi, she was very concerned. And my mom was on the other end of the table. Did you and understand what she just said, Mama Noemi? And she was trying to give me like candy and she was trying to tell me so many things and I was so frustrated because I couldn't understand and that's another thing is the language can get really frustrating a lot if you just want to understand or want to be able to respond like I wanted to tell her like thank you so much but I mean like I don't know and she just finally like went for it and she like started like massaging my head and she was just so like concerned and so like maternal towards me and towards everyone and she didn't even know me and like my own mother was there and <laughs> she was still like taking care of me and she was so concerned it was just such a like really cool moment mm -hmm. um, so one of the things um, one of the themes that I think kept coming up for me when I was at Amistad in, in Bolivia was what what is family um, you know thinking through it in my own you know where I come from and what does family look like thinking about the Church of the Advent and what family looks like here in the in the south what does it look like and then thinking about it in particular with um, with this community of orphans um, and so we have you know it's really neat to, to be on trips where families are together to see the Holsey family to see the Lees and 
Um, so what was like what was your experience like seeing family in a different way? Uh, so um, Kelly touched on this a little bit, but each house is a family in the truest sense of the word. It's um, they have a mama that cooks for all ten of those children in their kitchen in their house, little bitty kitchen, and cares for them just the way I care for my children. And um, and then a tia, which is an aunt, would come in and help for two days of the week, um, doing the same thing that my mom does. But it's in the same way that I would ask um, a family member of mine to help me for a few days if I'm going to take a vacation or go do something. But it was it was wonderful to see how the, the children take care of each other, how they are so special to one another. Yet the whole Amistad, La Vila, is a family too that um, comes together to care for each other, to welcome visitors like us, and to to support and to learn. And every everything they go to school, they, there are so many similarities to, to our families. And it was so nice to see that the children of Amistad are being brought up in Christian homes, learning um, about Jesus and God, and uh, just learning to love and to be uh, very good citizens, and that they'll grow up and be hopefully a better part of of the nation of Bolivia. I'm gonna pass it to Janice too, and sure. You gonna add anything to kind of the the hope for the children? Um, well, like Liz was saying, um, I think that there's such a cohesive unit there with them helping each other. I can remember one time we got off the bus and wanted to play with the children and, you know, you run to the playground and play with them, but they couldn't play because they all had to go and help in the field and, um, try and clear it to grow vegetables and plant vegetables. So... You know, our kids were like, what? You, you have to go do that? And so we went and we helped them. So they support each other in every way. It's it's Christ-driven. Um, they're so appreciative of each other, of us. And I think our lives for family, sometimes we're distracted. We have a lot going on. Um, you know, how many times do we have dinner together anymore, you know, during the week because somebody's in sports or whatever? They are like that every day. They're together. Their meals are together. And it's just so, I think, so special. Um, they see us come, and they're so hopeful that, oh, my gosh, I'm in Amistad. I'm not in an, a you know, state-run um, orphanage, and I'm with my other siblings, and I know that I'm going to have a future. I know that um, they're going to see me through. I might be able to go to technical college or university, I'm going to have a job, and I'm going to have friends for life. And I think that, I think is the best thing. We've got about seven minutes left, and I want to be able to have some time for questions. So Kelly, would you keep telling us, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved and why you keep coming back? Yeah. Go to, oh, go to that picture of Bethany. I just want, Bethany has not had a picture yet, so I had to, had to throw it in there. I was also given a, a lesson on dabbing. <laughs> 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 All right, go flip to the end. <laughs> you 
got so much uh, Clay. <laughs> got, shout out to Clay for his photography oh, over there. So good. So um, I'll go to the very end. Um, well, uh, go to the very end. There we go. Um, so the question was, what was the question? Whatever you want it to be. Oh, wow. Why, why do you okay. keep coming back? <laughs> why do I keep coming back? Okay. Well, I really want to call attention, and, and this has become more and more real over the years, with what Father William first said, and it was friendship with God, friendship with the poor, and friendship with each other. And amistad means friendship. And um, when I think of friendship, I mean, we know that God is our Savior. We know that God is our mighty King. We know that God is a wonderful counselor. He's our shepherd. But in Scripture, it also says that he's our friend, which to me that is calls us into this deep, dear fellowship of companionship and intimacy with the Savior. And so we each have that opportunity. So it's our own friendships with God. And Amistad is very much about that. But then you start pairing that with the friendship with the poor. And this is where this has turned my life upside down. And, um, you know, if you read scripture, again, you notice that, that Jesus went to the poor. He loved the poor. He was poor. Um, he had no home. He was despised. He had no money. And he found himself, spent time with the people that were on the fringes, um, that were ill, that were, that lived on the fringes. Um, and if Jesus went there, that's where I want to go. And, um, and that seems to be, I've wondered that within the confines of our material security and self-reliance, um, if we are able to have that closeness with Jesus. It's very hard to get there with our, and I'll say it again, with our material security and self-reliance. I think we can lose a closeness with Jesus. Um, and so um, that's one reason I keep going back, because there is a, a deepness um, of my relationship with Christ and Clay always called it the Holy His Holy Spirit is just everywhere all over on the submission and then so we have this friendship with God he's called us into deep relationship friendship with the poor which for I can tell you for our family it's become very deep relationships they are an extension of our family and then we have this friendship with the other and it really it could it can make me cry I one of the joys of my life now is to take young people and new friends down to Amistad Mission and watch them experience the magic happen to them. We love because he first loved us. And um, and so now I have this community that I'm in a deeper relationship with my Amistad friends. Um, and the, all these girls, I mean, I can, I feel like they're my children and, I, and we can talk about significant deep things. We can, they can come to me when they're hurting and, um, and I think Amistad's given us that. So there's this friendship that just encompasses everything, and that is why I keep going back. And I, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of directors. Liz is on the board of directors. Marnie has been on the board. She just recently completed her three-year term, and so um, that's it. Yeah. Mm. I don't want to follow that actually, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a few minutes for questions. Um, so does anyone have anything that they want to ask any anyone up here? And ask Marnie and Clay or Ashley Brooke too? Ben. Just curious, are they able to keep in touch with those who grow up and leave 
Can you repeat the question for me? The question is, are the children able to have a relationship once they are older? And after they leave. After they leave. Yes, so I think one of my favorite things was towards the end of our stay, we did a big cookout where we invite the whole group, anybody, and they invite their extended families. And by that I mean the children who have gone on to the youth home and to independent living or college, graduated, is they come back. And it is the same thing we see in our own families, like me going to my parents' house. It is a long-term relationship that they never lose. And you see that when you do group things. You see it come full circle, that they never lose their family, that it is their family. It's one of the greatest things to watch. How many of the Amistad homes are there? There are eight. Eight on property, the Amistad, yes, eight. And is the plan to grow those, or do you think the size is where it is? No, I think we're going to, like any organizations, we have our own issues. And one of the issues is finding, and that could be a prayer that we would always ask, is to find capable and caring and consistent and Jesus-loving mamas. And so it is very hard to find that. And so we're going to keep it at eight homes. And they can each take about 10 children. So we're at 62 right now. So. Oh, that's interesting. They come from, I just read an article on one of our children yesterday on Joaquin, who's actually about 25 now. And he was actually brought, he was put as an infant on the front door of a police station. And then he ends up in a state-run orphanage, one would be called Solomon Klein, which I visited when I'm down there. And so often either the government will kind of funnel them in to us. A lot of our children come from this state-run, particular state-run orphanage called Solomon Klein. And that is an orphanage that's zero to five, five to ten. And it's just, you visit and you leave and you just don't ever forget the images that you see. So, yeah. Kelly, is there an age that these kids have to graduate and leave? Great question. And what are some of the things that they have gone on to do? Great question. Yeah, they, you know, and all kids, there's no perfect teenager or perfect family. And so we have certain kids that are not completing what they need to complete, and we've been giving them money, and they have not been performing in school, and there comes a time where we have to just cut them off. But we're really trying to push technical school because that gives them a skill. Some of them are very bright and go out and do university. Um, but it, we, it's an individual by individual case basis that we decide when that cuts off. We had a so. dinner with a group of university students, and one was a nurse, one was an accountant at a bank, one was studying to be a mechanic, and one was a teacher. So they're, they're all, most of them are pretty career minded. Yeah. Um, so I know that. Um, we need to wrap this up because if you're going to the 11 o'clock, then you might need to go. But um, I want to. I would like to close with asking Lily a question. Um, one of the things that came out we um, 
we do prep work for any kind of trips and we go through a study um, when helping hurts for short-term missions we talk about the culture um, and then we do a, a get together and talk about after the trip what is stuck with you and so one of the things that Lily um, told us um, really has stayed with me and um, so I'm just gonna go pat and pass and say how have you besides the prayer friend how have you stayed connected um, to really this experience of who God is through that, through your time in Bolivia, since you've gotten back? Um, so leaving Bolivia for me has always been a really hard thing, and I've always done my best to stay connected. So um, when I got back this year, it's like when you're in Bolivia, you usually take like cold showers. You can't brush your teeth with the water or drink any of the water. And so sometimes it can be a little rough. But um, so when I got home, I actually started taking cold showers just like to stay connected and to just like feel like feel like that again and I like actually slept on the floor a few times just because like it just like helps me stay connected and so just like taking that home with me was something that really affected my life and that had an impact on how I acted towards others and, and my family and just every day so You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.